Hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road when he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Jesus asked. He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. So, I was sitting on a bench in Tucker, and uncharacteristically, I was 30 minutes early for a meeting. And I had also some extra money uh, that was also unusual for me. And (laughs) so I was kind of daydreaming about how Alicia and I might spend that money. And a man, he came up to me while I was sitting there, and he gave me a little bit of a complicated story about how his car was being repaired around the corner. And he was on his way to a job interview, and he was $25 short of what he needed to get the car repaired. And he wondered if I had a couple of dollars that I could lend to him. And so I don't, I don't believe in coincidence a whole lot. I believe that God had me there at that moment and, and at that hour that he had provided me with, with money outside of my budget at the time, and, and uh, I had extra time on my hands. And so I felt the Spirit nudge me, and I said, okay, I, I put this guy in my truck, and I, I drove to an ATM, and I took out $40, and I gave the money to him, and I dropped him off at the mechanic. And he, he wanted to get my address so that he could repay me. But I told him, no, I, I think that God wants me to give this to you as a gift. Now, this is a nice story, and it's true. And, and, and it's a story of how I showed mercy to a person, but it's not the whole story, is it? But this, this man, have you ever... Have you ever had to ask a stranger for help, for money? How long did he watch me before he had the courage to come up and and ask me for help? And and I don't know what happened next. Like, I don't know. Did he get the job? 
Did his car get fixed? Did he, um, did my act of, of mercy somehow propel him into a relationship with Jesus Christ? I, I don't know the answer to those questions. But what I do know is what was running through my head during the whole encounter. And at first I was annoyed, like somebody's bothering me. And then as I heard his story, I, I, I groaned inwardly because this was my money and I wanted to spend it on something fun. And then, and then as I'm driving with him, I'm thinking, why did I let this guy in my car? Like he could be a total psycho. I don't even know if he's safe. And, and if I'm really being honest to you through the whole thing, what I was thinking was, what if I'm just a sucker? What if he's conning me? What if, what if he's going to spend this money on drugs or something and I'm not even being helpful? All these voices in my head were, were loudly competing with that still small voice that said, Brandon, show this man my mercy. And so, so I've come to a place where I just have to be content with not knowing. And, and I just pray, like God, I pray that my encounter with this man, small as it was, I pray that you use it to reveal yourself to him, even if it means that I'm gullible. So I share this story with you because it demonstrates, like so many other stories in my life, it demonstrates how, how complicated it is for me to be merciful. Because I want to help people, I generally do, but I'm so selfish, and I'm so distrustful, and I'm so prideful, and quite often, I'm apathetic. And so when I encounter a verse in the Bible that says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, it catches my attention. Because in a way, this verse is, is a warning to us. Who will be shown God's mercy? Those people who are merciful. And, and throughout Scripture, Jesus connects mercy with eternal life over and over again. And so I know that mercy is important to Jesus and it should be important to us as well. So I think it's worth our time this morning to pause and ask ourselves that question. Are we merciful people? And we're going to do that by, by first we're going, to, we're going to look at how we receive mercy. And then after that, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and see how is it that we show mercy. Our big idea this morning is that to be merciful people, we must first experience mercy. So, so we've been in this series on the Beatitudes for the past several weeks, and we have learned that the Beatitudes are not just random proverbs that Jesus has written down as a preface to his sermon, but they're, they're actually like this picture of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And in, in the first three Beatitudes, we see our deep spiritual need. And then in the fourth Beatitude, we see that it is only the satisfaction of righteousness in Christ that could ever satisfy that need. And going forward, beginning today with mercy, we see 
how do people respond who have experienced that satisfaction? We see that a life characterized by mercy has really felt that deep spiritual poverty. And it has it grieved over its sin. And that this heart has, has learned what it's like to meekly wait on God's plan. It's a heart that has felt the hunger for that satisfaction that comes only from Christ's righteousness. And this is the only path to becoming merciful people. Because, see, we're, we're called to more than just being nice to, to uh, others. Everybody is, uh, is merciful because everybody is made in the image of a merciful God. This is why we see people who are who are not yet believers. This is why we see that they have care for their fellow man. This is why we see them strive to make the world a better place. But what they do is not real mercy because they're trying to alleviate the suffering of a world through the wrong means, through something that is never going to satisfy their deepest and truest needs. And we are called to something greater. We're called to show the very love of God to the poor and the downtrodden and the oppressed and the neglected. In His name, for His purposes and to His glory, this is an amazing thing that we're called to. It's the gospel itself shown through Christ's church itself. This is the deed part of word and deed. We're told to, to tell the good news in both word and deed, and mercy is the deed. But we can't give away what we don't have. So let's look at how we receive mercy. Now, in one sense, we receive mercy just passively. It just kind of happens. Uh, God decides who He will show His mercy to. In, in Romans 9, it says He will show mercy to whom He will show mercy. It's unmerited mercy. That, by definition, means we cannot earn it. There's just nothing we can do. We receive it. But, but in another very real sense, we can only receive mercy by acknowledging it, by contemplating it, by experiencing it. And I know it's not enjoyable to think about our sin and to think about the consequences that comes from that sin, but a true understanding of mercy only comes from a true understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and what He has saved us from. Philippians 12.1, the Apostle Paul tells us, just, just after he tells us, hey, let's try to consider people more important than ourselves, 
Let's look to other people's interests as well as our own. Just after that, he says that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And when I read that, this makes me think of, of John, the Apostle John in his Revelation, the book of Revelation. He, he talks about coming in a vision. He comes face to face with Jesus Christ, and, and he sees his holiness, and, and he writes, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not. And I also think of the prophet Isaiah, in his vision, he encounters the holiness of God in the throne room, and his response is, woe is me, I am lost. And these are men who knew salvation. These are men who understood, but yet when they came face to face with God's holiness and, and a realization of their own sin, they were terrified. They had fear and trembling. And so we need to consider God's holiness. We, we really do. And, and I would submit to you that if when you think about God's holiness, if there is no fear and trembling within you, then you're either not as aware of how holy He is, or you're really minimizing how sinful you are. It's important that we understand the depth of our sin and the, and the height of God's holiness. And, and, and we need to peer into the vastness that is in between uh, until we're overcome by vertigo. We're afraid we may fall into it because what bridges that, that chasm is the cross and the work that Christ did on it. And, and it's only when we're afraid that we might fall in that we will cling to it. That's where we need to get to. I, I used to trivialize my sin. I, I just never really thought about it. I knew Jesus had died for me, but it, I didn't really consider the magnitude of what that meant. And, and, and what I found was that I couldn't have compassion on others. I found that when I experienced others in their sinful state, I just judged them. And if they, if they sinned in a way that was similar to how I sinned, I judged them even more harshly. But when I worked through the, the Beatitudes, I worked through the first few Beatitudes and I, I saw the depth of my spiritual poverty and, and I, I realized that I not only didn't have all the answers, I didn't have any of the answers. And I, I learned how to to go by God's plan, to, to patiently wait and work on things His way. And I really had to grieve over the fact that I wasn't a good person, that I was in fact depraved. And as I, as I did so, I, I began to realize that Christ's righteousness was what was sufficient for me, and I experienced freedom and satisfaction from that. And all of a sudden, I saw people differently. I still saw their sin and I still, I still saw their brokenness, but I, I realized like I have compassion for these people now. And, and it, it wasn't because I saw that they now deserved it. It was because I saw and I recognized in them that very thing, that state of helplessness and misery that I had seen in myself. 
and I connected with them. Jesus showed me unmerited mercy. How could I do anything less for others? I, see, I had a cheap view of mercy before I took the time to really contemplate it, to really think about it, to really compare it to God's holiness. And, um, and I realized that, you know, I already had mercy, right? Like, Jesus died on the cross thousands of years ago, long before I was born. And I didn't even become aware of all of this until He had made my heart new, until He had already justified me before God. So I had mercy, but I hadn't received it until I contemplated it, until I felt it and truly experienced it. When we know how sinful we are, and, and when we get even a glimpse of how holy God is, we have no more illusions about being better than anyone else. It's like a short ant and a tall ant arguing about who's more like an elephant. The standard's just unreachable without the righteousness of Christ. And so I have no more excuses for not showing mercy because we're all in the same boat. We all have the same needs and we all fall short of the mark by the same infinite measure. And I say all this because when we have felt this need, when we have, when we have truly allowed ourselves to experience the mercy of God, that is where we find an abundance of mercy that we can share with others. So how, so how do we show this mercy to others? The, Jesus talks about mercy a lot, but I think probably the best example of mercy from the Scripture is the parable of the Good Samaritan that, that Ryan read for us a moment ago. I want to make something clear before we, before we kind of dive into it. it it's that Jesus... Jesus said this parable in response to that question, like, what can I do to inherit eternal life? You see, the, the Scripture tells us this man was looking to justify himself. He was trying to save himself. And, and when he saw that, the, that he could only do so by keeping the law, then he, then he sought to kind of narrow the scope of the law by asking, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives us this parable with the express purpose of demonstrating how impossible it is for us to save ourselves by giving us an example of how difficult it is for us to be merciful. And that's the function of the law, is to reveal our need for a Savior. But this parable does contain within it this ideal for showing mercy. And that's what we're going to examine this morning. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We're never going to be as, as good as the Good Samaritan. But what we'll do is when we, we strive for this ideal, when, when, we, when we fail, we'll repent. And then we'll keep trying. 
So looking at the parable, we find four principles of mercy. And the first is that we see people who are in distress. Now, all three of the passers-by in the story saw him. But the Levite and the priest, they crossed the street. So they didn't have to come into contact with him. It was only the Samaritan who chose not to look away. He saw the man and he saw his need. And these were choices that they made. And I think that we have lots of ways where we cross the street. I think of that man sitting on the freeway off-ramp with the little cardboard sign. And I, and I wonder how many people sitting at that red light are just trying so hard not to look at him, to not make eye contact, to not see him or see his distress. Because you see, there's people in distress all around us. There, it, all throughout our county and our city and in our neighborhoods, even in this very room, there are people who are in distress if we have eyes to see it. But it's so easy for us to just cross the street and not come into contact with them. We just don't drive through those parts of town. Or maybe we don't shop at that particular Kroger. Or maybe we filter those kind of things out of our news feeds. We don't have to see anything that we don't really want to see, do we? But I think that we're called to keep our eyes open. Do we, do we believe that we follow a sovereign God? Do, do we believe that that God might put someone in our path? Do, does He not give us spiritual gifts? And for most of us in this room, has He not provided for us over and above what we need? He's equipped us for every good work. But we can't do those things if we're not paying attention. The second principle of mercy is that we have to respond internally. We have to, we have to feel something we saw that uh, in the story, the Samaritan saw the man and then he had compassion on him. Now, maybe that seems kind of obvious to you, but, but I think that compassion doesn't always come naturally. I, I'll tell you this, when, when a woman cries, I have a natural compassion that happens to me without fail. It, it comes over me. It's just, I can't control it. But when a child cries, my initial reaction is annoyance. And I have to look and see, oh, he's actually hurt. And then compassion comes until he starts milking it and then the annoyance <laughs> comes back. But my point is that we can't really control our initial reaction to things, right? And, and we're not told in this story what the Samaritan's initial reactions were. Maybe his initial reaction was annoyance. Maybe he saw this man lying on the, on the Jericho road and he's like, I don't 
have time for this today. Or, or maybe it was disgust. This, this was a naked, bloody, dirty man lying in the road. Or maybe he had a mean-spirited reaction. Because, you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along so well. And maybe his first thought was, you know, he probably deserves it. What we do know is that he had compassion, and that means that at some point he chose to put himself in this man's shoes and to imagine what it might feel like if he was in that same situation. And, and that's where compassion comes from. This is how we find compassion when we don't have it naturally. It's our choice. It's our choice to say that there, but for the grace of God, go I. And I think that if, if we're willing to set aside our first reactions and truly consider the distress that we see before us, I think, I think that when we do that, we will find that compassion is not that far behind. But compassion's not enough, is it? It's not enough to just feel bad. Uh, we have to have an external response as well. And ima imagine, if the, if, imagine if the Good Samaritan had saw him and had compassion on him and said, oh, that poor man, and then kept on going. Maybe a little while later he thought about it and he's like, oh, that poor guy. And he updated his Facebook profile pic with a little frame that says, pray for the Jericho Road. You know, to raise awareness of the need for more Roman soldiers. Mercy is, is more than feeling bad, and it's more than aligning ourselves with their cause. It's more than gathering around us people who feel bad with us because the, all that's fine, but, but if all we do is feel bad and nobody does anything, then we're not showing mercy because it does nothing to alleviate their suffering unless action is taken. Remember, the, the Beatitudes are a picture of what the life of a follower of Jesus looks like. This is about our identity. Our, our life is supposed to be characterized by being merciful. Merciful. Full of mercy. And this is going to cost us something. Showing mercy, it, it, it requires some of our time. And it requires some of our talent. And it requires some of our treasure. These things that God has given to us. And Jesus shows us in this parable an example of sacrificial mercy. The Good Samaritan showed a lot of personal sacrifice to help this man. First, he had to deal with like some awkwardness, some discomfort, right? Again, as a, a naked, bloody man, he had, to, he had to physically touch him when he bandaged him. And, and he had to give of his time, and he was inconvenienced. He, 
It took time to care for this guy, and then, and then his, his journey forward was slower because now he was walking alongside of his animal while this man rode. And, and it cost him money, and, it, and he had to share his stuff. His stuff, right? He had all this oil and wine with him that he poured out over this guy's wounds, and this is, this is hard to do. And last, he, you know, he had to make a commitment. Well, also, he had the cost of hiring a caretaker for this man. And that leads to this long-term commitment. He's in relationship with this guy now. Maybe he didn't want another friend. You know, this is a sacrifice that he's making. Perhaps the the most remarkable principle that we find in this parable, though, is that we're to be merciful no matter who it is. It's remarkable that this Jewish man who was in distress was helped by someone that he most likely would have hated racially. And it's probable that the Samaritan, good as he was, it's, po- it's probable that he had similar feelings about this man. And I think Jesus chose to put a racial divide into his story for a reason, to make a point, to show that everyone is our neighbor. There is no one who is excluded from the command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I wish, I wish I could stand up here and say, things are so much better now. I'm so glad we don't have those problems, but we all know that we do. And we all know that we are divided right now. In this country, we are divided racially, and we're divided politically, and there's a division between the sexes, and we're divided with, by sexual orientation. We're divided by religion and ideology. There's division everywhere. God will show mercy on whom God will show mercy. And God shows mercy through His church. And so we don't get to choose. We don't get to pick and choose to whom we show mercy. If God puts someone in need in our path, that's the guy. And it is regardless of who he is and what he believes and what the color of his skin is or anything else about him that we want to hate. We don't get to pick and choose. And, and, and church, I, I hope, I hope, meaning I believe that we can. I hope that we won't let the divisiveness that's all around us right now stop us from being a merciful people. I want to close this message with a final observation about this parable. You see, when, when we hear this parable, I think most of us in this room naturally 
place ourselves in the shoes of the Good Samaritan. After all, he's the Gentile in the story, and most of us are not Jewish, and, and we just tend to see, like, hey, this, is, this story is an example of, of how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to, to show mercy, and it is that. That's why I used it as an illustration this morning. But isn't it interesting that the original audience for this story was a Jewish man, an expert in Jewish law, and, and, and Christ's disciples who were all Jews. And so it, it's very probable that when they first heard this story, they placed themselves in the shoes of the man who was lying on the ground in need. And, and I think that when we, when we consider this from their perspective, it comes alive in a new way. Because see, we, we are that man on the road. And, and God, has, God saw us in our distress. And God took compassion on us. But He didn't leave it there, did He? He took action. He, he, he brought us to life, forming a new heart within us, creating that. He, he took us under His care through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and then He provided for a caretaker for us as we recover through the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. God did this for us while we were still His enemies. Will you think about this? Will you think about this for a while? Will you, like I did this week, will you just ruminate on it? Will you marvel over it? It's so simple and beautiful. Every act of mercy is telling the story of the gospel. Every time, it's a reflection of what God has done for us. Church, Can we tell that story often? Can we tell this story to as many people as we possibly can? Can we bring can we bring glory to our great and merciful God? Let's pray. Father, I I want so much to be merciful, and Lord, I want so much for this church to be merciful, but it's hard for us. It's difficult for us. We have excuses and reasons and fears. Lord, I pray that you will provide for us, that you will, you will meet those needs, that you will alleviate those fears. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who see others in their distress and I pray Lord that our natural reactions will more and more often become compassion and I pray Lord that we will be moved to action and Lord more more than anything this morning I pray that we will have the hearts of people who don't hate 
who don't look at what's different between us, but who are moved to action because of the great mercy that you've shown to us. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.